At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. Welcome to the Hornets Hivecast, the official podcast of your Charlotte Hornets. Here's your host, Sam Farber. Wake up, everybody. Wake up, everybody. I'm Wake up. Wake up. Welcome to another edition of the Hornets Hivecast, your daily podcast with all the notes, quotes, and daily buzz around your favorite NBA team, the Charlotte Hornets. I'm Sam Farber, and it is a pleasure and a privilege to have you with us once again on the HHC. It is a silver linings edition as the Hornets fell last night to the Portland Trailblazers, 123-111, to night two of a back-to-back. Always difficult, especially when you're shorthanded, and the Hornets most certainly were with three starters from opening night out for this one once again. And again, night two of a back-to-back, very difficult. Portland was well-rested and waiting for the Hornets, and they were able to pull away early in the fourth quarter for a 12-point victory. So we'll hand out our silver linings. Also have an in-depth conversation today with Sean Powell of NBA.com, longtime sports writer and NBA writer. He does a great job, and he's got a piece that just came out in the last 24 hours now, on Gordon Hayward and the Hornets. So we'll talk to him about his recent conversations with the Hornets' premier addition in the offseason in terms of free agency and the leader, quite frankly, of this team as they try and make their way back into the postseason for the first time in quite some time. To help me out with all of this, before we get to Sean, I've got my producer, Rob Longo, with us again. Rob, a tough loss last night, 123-111. to Tough because I thought the Hornets' effort was an A+. I just thought the energy, understandably so, wasn't quite there throughout. The team looked tired at times. Great first quarter. Everything went according to plan. Charlotte was 14-23 from the floor at that point. Six players were on the scoreboard at that point, or in the scorebook, I should say. 13 points off six turnovers. Everything was great, and then it just seemed like the legs were starting to go a little bit, and when the legs go, the shooting isn't there from distance, which we kind of saw in the second half as the Hornets started the quarter 0-8 shooting in the third quarter, and then the free throws weren't falling either. And But that's not why the Hornets lost the game. When you're down 
three starters and you're playing the second night of a back-to-back against a team that has had two nights off and you're on a West Coast trip, it all just kind of spells disaster in a sense. And I can't really take a lot of stock in this game one way or the other other than just looking at the final score and moving on. Yeah, I think, you know, if you're the Hornets, you take some solace in the fact that you came out, you had a good first quarter, you had a good first half overall, and you were right there. You gave yourselves a chance to win. Eventually, Portland was able to open up from three. Carmelo Anthony, a tremendous fourth quarter, 17 points in the fourth quarter alone. He was big, although in the Battle of the Mellows, LaMelo beats Carmelo 30-29 to in the score column. Carmelo Anthony ends up with 29 points, three boards, two assists, five steals. LaMelo Ball, 30 points, six rebounds, eight assists, and four steals. Really a fun fun matchup between those two. They had a couple interactions before the game and after the game. LaMelo talked about it, but l- let's drill down on the biggest story in this one, and that was the fatigue factor. Hornets, second straight night on a back-to-back going without Gordon Hayward, without Cody Zeller, without Devontae Graham. Being out three starters at any point is difficult. Being so on night two of a back-to-back going up against a team that has, in the last two years, made it to a Western Conference Finals, that's a very tall task. Here's what James Borrego had to say after the game about the fatigue factor for his team. Yeah, it's hard to say, Sam. I mean, my guys are busting their tails. I mean, they're playing so hard right now. We're undermanned, down three starters, back-to-back, grueling season. But as I said, we're not going to use it as an excuse. I think there could have been some fatigue there in the third, but we carry on, we fight on. You know, we had our opportunities there. I thought our guys continued to play hard. I think there were just some mental mistakes there in the third quarter. You know, we turned it over. Carmelo hits a couple tough threes that really turned the game. But I thought our guys continued to battle. You know, we, they, they continue to fight. It's been a long year so far, Sam. It's been a long, grueling year for my group. And we're down. We got some some wounded warriors, but we got to keep fighting. We got to keep fighting, and we'll do that. Full disclosure, he was talking to Sam Purley, not me, but I appreciate the, the shout-out from uh, JB. He's right. The team was on night two of a back-to-back. I would love to see this game if the Hornets had an extra day's rest. I'd love to see this game if the Hornets had an extra two players. But the fact is they didn't. Portland for that matter, would love to see this game with Yusuf Nurkic and McCollum in the lineup and Collins. I mean, they're missing a lot of bodies too, but the benefit of rest seemed to play a pretty big role in this one. Yeah, and you didn't expect Carmelo Anthony to turn back the clock a little bit too. He had 29 points. You mentioned that already. That was a season high. He also had six three-pointers, which is also a season high, and he also had five steals. So the first time in his career, his long, illustrious career, that he has had five or more three-pointers and five or more steals in a single game. So Carpell Anthony played really well last night for the Trailblazers. And, of course, we always have our silver linings. There's plenty of good play to go around on the other side for the Hornets as well. Of course, LaMelo Ball. A double team, and LaMelo Ball gets the steal. Gives to Terry Rozier. Rozier with a runner. It's good. LaMelo Ball, a career-high tying four-steal performance. He's top ten in the NBA, by the way, in steals per game. Very impressive, his defensive prowess on the season. He's a very sneaky defender. He loves to sneak in from the weak side and and poke a ball loose, steal an extra rebound. Even in this game, final tenth of a second, end of the third quarter, he manages to, on a play where he should be just hucking it up from half court, and that's it. He manages to draw a foul. These are the kinds of plays that in the course of a season start to add up. When you steal one extra rebound, when you take one more shot attempt, get one more trip to the line, this night it doesn't make a difference in a 12-point game. On many nights it will, particularly that night against Sacramento. It 
comes up again and again. And these are the little things that LaMelo Ball is way ahead of the game on. You always hear coaches talk about one more rep, one more play kind of at the end of practice. And LaMelo takes that and transitions it over into the gameplay as well. So he does a really good job just kind of giving it night in and night out. And he was asked about it in the post-game press conference about how he felt on the second night of a back-to-back. And he's like, hey, man, I'm 19 years old. I'm just going to go out there and play because, I mean, that's just the kind of guy LaMelo is. But now through 14 games since being in the starting lineup, he is now averaging 20.8 points per game, 6.1 rebounds, 6.8 assists. He's going 46, 43, and 86 on his shooting percentages. And he's still on that pace to be the only rookie to have that kind of average as Oscar Robertson. It's been spectacular. He goes for 30 points. Terry Regier goes for 20. The team has a game against Minnesota coming up to wrap up the first half. You would think even if they don't get the three starters who've been injured the last two games back, they still should be favored because Minnesota has just been in free fall. They have lost now eight in a row, nine of their last ten, And if we stretch it out even further, they've lost 12 of 13. They're bad right now. They're not playing very good basketball, but they still have some talented players. Hornets would really love to get some more pieces back. But ultimately, this team is going to try and get to the All-Star break one game under 500. 17 and 18 would be a fine record. It would have them in a playoff position as they hit the All-Star break. So far, no one is playing in the game, and we'll see what invites happen for the other festivities. But ultimately, it's an opportunity to rest and recuperate and get ready for the second half run. Terry Rozier, guy who is a borderline all-star this year, had another 20-point performance. He talked about what this season has really been like. This season right here has been it's one for the books for sure. I mean, obviously, with just all the things that's going on in our country, Obviously, with, with the COVID and stuff, waking up every morning, getting tested, and tested a couple of times a day, it's kind of draining. But I mean, like I said, healthy is you got to be healthy. That's the most important thing. So, you know, it's it's kind of draining. But like I said, we got the best job in the world. Ain't no complaining. Uh, we put on them jerseys night in, night out. Uh, we professionals. We got to figure it out. Love his demeanor. I love his perspective. Love his honesty. Look. They're tired. You could hear it in the answers in the postgame. You could see it on the floor. You could hear it from Coach. You could hear it from the questions the media is asking. People are tired. This has been a long, grueling pace to sustain for the last couple of months, and it's not going to slow down at all in the second half. The Hornets have got to take advantage of the rest and see if they can you know, rev those engines up and put some distance between themselves and teams that, quite frankly, a lot of the experts think are going to have a second-half run in them, like the Pacers, like the Bulls, like the Hawks. They're certainly behind the Hornets right now, but they're not so far behind that it's anywhere near an insurmountable lead. So Charlotte would do well to get this win over Minnesota on Wednesday and do well to put some distance between themselves and the pack. Four games separates fourth place from 13th place. So take the fourth-place team, the New York Knicks. If they have a two-week stretch, we're playing roughly three to four, five games a week. If they have a two-week stretch in the second half where they go two and six, they could very easily flip spots with the Cleveland Cavaliers, who are in 13th, if they were to go six and two. That's how tight things are. That's how quickly things can change. So the Hornets, they're in a good position right now. You would call it control over their own destiny at this stage, depending on how things go. A lot of games 
to be played, but the Hornets have to like where they are right now, a team that was picked to, based off the experts' opinions, lose two out of every three. They've been right around 500 the entire course this season. All right. Well, we've got a special guest to join us here, Sean Powell, longtime sports writer for NBA.com. He did an in-depth piece on Gordon Hayward and the Hornets, and we'll have our conversation with Sean after this here on the Hornets Hivecast. Hornets fans, be sure to download the Hornets app on your mobile device. The Hornets app is your access to all new features and exclusive content, including the new game day experience for every game this season. Time now to turn our focus to Sean Powell, longtime national NBA writer for NBA.com, who just recently posted a piece on Gordon Hayward and the Hornets to NBA.com. Sean, thank you so much for joining us here on the Hornets Hivecast. Hey, my pleasure. So you do this in-depth piece on Gordon Hayward, and you went over a variety of topics throughout his career. Let's go to the very recent activity, him making the decision to leave Boston a year before he had to, based off his contract, and come down and play in the Queen City. There are a lot of ways he spoke about it, but which one stuck out most to you, the, the reasons he left Boston or the reasons he came to Charlotte? Well, I think he felt that his time in Boston had expired in a, in a lot of different ways. I mean, he didn't really get into a lot of details. He just said he wanted a fresh start. And whenever you hear that from players, you know, saying they want a fresh start, that means pretty much they've hit a dead end where they are. The Celtics never went to the NBA Finals with Gordon and there was some deep expectations you know gordon had to deal with injuries that didn't help and he was approaching the final year of his contract he had an option year and so he had to think about his future and i think he also saw with boston you got Jalen brown and, and jason tatum and those are two players who pretty much play the the same position as gordon you know the swingman type and so i think you know at that point you know gordon probably looked at his present and his future and, you know, don't discount the financial aspect as well. I mean, you know, that's a, that's a lot of money and you've, you're dealing with a sport that's going through a pandemic. You're not so sure where the financials will be, salary cap and all that. And if someone's going to throw you a, a nice chunk of change, which is what Michael Jordan did, you know, you've got to take that seriously. So I think all those things probably came into play with Gordon. Uh, I think it was his present and his future. I think he looked in the mirror and he addressed all that. And I think he found that uh, both his present and future, probably more the future, would be better off with the Hornets. Part of the pitch I've heard, too, from what James Borrego in the front office brought to Gordon was the thought that the best years of his career should and could be in front of him. Like, why can't the best years of your career be in your early 30s and not having have been in your mid-20s. And for a guy like him who, he's already got a legacy in the game. I mean, he would have been the one shining moment for all eternity had that shot fallen at Butler. But he's still the guy that put Butler on the map and made them into the college basketball power that it is. He's still a former All-Star. But whether he wins a championship even or not, he has the chance here in Charlotte to be a part of a group like, say, Chris Webber and Doug Christie were with the Sacramento Kings where they never quite won it, but they are synonymous with that franchise. And depending on what Gordon Hayward and this group does with Charlotte over the next handful of seasons, that could be his legacy as well. Do you think that factors into his 
decision and his potential. Oh, absolutely, because I think there's probably a part of Gordon that's disturbed about his NBA career, mainly because of the injuries. You know, he's healthy, of course, you know, with Gordon. A year wouldn't be complete without scare. You know, he had scare there but uh, a few games ago with his hand. But I think there's a part of him that just really wants to seek that redemption that he's been seeking since he broke his leg and ankle uh, in his first, really his first game with the Celtics. And he had to fight his way back. But, you know, you brought up Butler. One of the questions I threw his way was, I said, hey, you know what? If the basketball god said, you know what, Gordon? That half-court shot, buzzer beater, that's going to fall, and you're going to beat Duke, and you guys are going to be NCAA immortals. But in exchange, I want one year of your NBA career. And I asked Gordon, if, if that deal was made to you, do you take that deal? Curiously, he said he, w- he wouldn't take the deal. And I was kind of surprised by that. Of course, my answer would have been, yeah, tell the basketball guards to take the year that I was hurt. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they could have that year. But, uh, yeah, but I think Gordon is beyond Butler in that game. He's beyond Utah. He's beyond Boston. And I just think he just really wants a fresh start. And, you know, this is probably his his last team. And I think he wants a fresh start and to build his legacy with a new team. And and who knows? You know, sometimes you go to a place and, and you end up being the reason why there's a, a team turnaround or a franchise turnaround. And maybe this is it for Gordon Hayward. We won't know that for an, another year or two because, you know, there's obviously some more work to be done in Charlotte. But, you know, who's to say that he won't be the guy who finally pushed Michael Jordan's team and the Charlotte Hornets into the right direction? Well, no one builds a team alone, or very few even get close. Allen Iverson maybe with Philadelphia is about as close as it's ever come. But there are some pieces in Buzz City to run with Gordon Hayward, and he talked to you about them, and we're going to talk about those next here on the Hornets Side. Hornets fans, the buzz is building. For season ticket packages for the 2021-2022 season, call 704-HORNETS or visit hornets.com to chat live with a season ticket representative. Lock in your price today. Sean Powell of NBA.com with us today on the Hornets Hivecast. He just recently posted a piece on Gordon Hayward and the Hornets. And now we're going to talk about the potential for the future. You were saying before, you know, this is his chance to build on an already very impressive legacy and maybe do something that's never been done here in Charlotte in terms of getting this franchise to a finals or or even close to it. It's been a very long time since the Hornets have even been in the playoffs. But no one really does it alone. And the good news is Gordon Hayward doesn't really have to. He's got some good pieces already. The one that has captivated the nation is LaMelo Ball. He's been on the national stage since he was a high school freshman playing with his fellow Ball brothers at Chino Hills High School. He had some doubters coming into the draft, but he has been the most impressive rookie in the NBA and one of the biggest sensations in Charlotte history. Gordon talked to you about his impressions of LaMelo from the start. What did he say? I asked him, when did he know that LaMelo could have a special uh, rookie season? And he said, pretty much a training camp. I think the other thing that uh, about LaMelo is how he has endeared himself to his teammates by giving them the ball. You have to understand, when someone like him comes into the NBA, he's been famous for three or four years before he even arrived. And, you know, you, you know, all this highlights are making 
you know, the uh, the 24-hour sports TV shows and they're talking about him. Sometimes you got to worry a little bit about your teammates being, you know, a little jealous, a little resentful, because quite frankly, there are better players on the Charlotte Hornets than LaMelo Ball. Uh, but I think the one thing about LaMelo Ball is, number one, other than his play, he doesn't do anything to attract attention to himself. That's number one. Number two, I think he, again, when you start giving the team your teammates the ball and they can score, they kind of like you. And I think he, he's finding that out. So I think that's, that all boots well for him. I, I think with LaMelo, obviously, he's young. He, he, his game still has to mature. His body has to mature. He's got to learn how to make take the mid-range shot and that's one thing that's lost on his generation is that they feel that everything is rim or three-point line and they really haven't worked their muscle memory to even take a mid-range shot but sometimes that's the shot that's there i'm sure you saw the game with denver and it was a, a four-on-one break and they were down two points and the three wing guys ran to the three-point circle instead of filling the lane, you know, and Denver ended up losing the game. And, and that's the mentality that a lot of young players like Lamel, they come into the NBA, they feel that they have to take the three-point shot or they have to take it to the rim. No, th- there's, a, there's a lot of court left. So he's got to think about that, you know, improve his game. And I think he will. I, he loves basketball. Uh, and I think he will. Talking about Lamelo as well, and you recently, in addition to the Gordon Hayward piece, put out a top 10 best players on their rookie deal piece. But you didn't include rookies on it. And kind of a two-part question. One, did you not include rookies because the 10 players you listed, players like Luka Doncic, Trey Young, Zion Williamson, John Morant, are all better than everyone in this rookie class? Or was there, you know, you just weren't including rookies? And if it's the latter... Where would you put LaMelo Ball in that discussion? Yeah, I didn't put any rookies from this class because they're just not good enough. Uh, and to be fair to them, it's such a small sample size. I mean, these guys have only played, what, 25, 30, not even 30, 35, 40 games yet. So I think it would be unfair to to, put, to judge them right next to guys like Luka Doncic and, you know, Trey Young and Zion Williamson. And I know those are the guys I mentioned. They've only been in, in the NBA for what, one or two years themselves, but you also have to keep in mind that some of the rookies in this class, they really haven't played much basketball over the last 18 months because of the pandemic. Um, You know, take a guy like James Wiseman. I mean, he only played, what, a handful of games in Memphis, and then he left school. Uh, By the time he showed up with the Warriors, you know, the guy really hadn't played basketball since high school. And, uh, you know, so I think it would have been unfair to you know, judge them with uh, players who, uh, you know, have a little bit more seasoning. And quite frankly, those players are better than this rookie class. Uh, But, hey, maybe, say, this fall, you know, after he's had the rest of this season and maybe the start of next season and also a summer of training, hopefully, knock on wood, that the pandemic doesn't uh, prevent or disturb. Maybe guys like, uh, you know, LaMelo Ball, Tyrese Halliburton, you know, James Wiseman will definitely make that list. To your point on young players needing time to develop and maybe grow into joining those types of lists, there's another player you talked with Gordon Hayward about in your recent piece on NBA.com, which we highly recommend everyone goes to check out, and that's Terry Rozier, who is his teammate 
in Boston. Terry played two college seasons at Louisville, and it still took two years as a pro to crack the starting lineup and really start to show the skill set that has really blossomed now in the Queen City. Before we go to Terry and you know specifically what Gordon said, do you feel like teams are too quick to judge these players that they're taking as 18, 19-year-old prospects and not giving them the time to develop. I mean, we even see it, you know, with fans all the time. They expect basically a college sophomore or freshman to be ready to play in the NBA, and oftentimes it's taking three or four years, like the case of a Terry Rozier or even a Malik Monk, to really show that now they're physically and mentally caught up to the point that they're fully ready to play and have an impact at this level? Well, on one hand, I can't blame NBA executives because they have to make a financial decision after, say, two and a half, three years. Um, Sometimes, in the case of certain players, you mentioned Malik Monk, that's just not enough time. Uh, However, they've got to decide whether to, you know, give them a rookie extension or, you know, feel that, you know, they're part of the future and things like that. So they're on a bit of a clock, you know, for, for, for better or worse, they're on a bit of a clock. And the other thing is that a lot of the times when the NBA is scouting, you know, guys who are coming to the league at 19, you know, sometimes even 18 years old, whatever, uh, most of the scouting is from their high school career, like, the, you know, the Jordan brand game or the McDonald's All-Star game because they just don't stay on a college campus long enough. And, and sometimes, you know, as freshmen, they have a season that's kind of mixed. It's not very good, but then they declare for the draft anyway. And now if you're an NBA executive, you got you got to make that decision. So I think, you know, look, it's an imperfect system and mistakes are going to be made in situations like this i think by and large the nba gets it right but it'll you know you mentioned Blake monk it'll be very interesting to see what the Hornets do with him because he's had some games that have just been really really good and then he just disappears he just vaporizes falls off the map and you know that sort of inconsistency has got to drive coaches and general managers crazy because they have to make hard decisions potentially franchise altering decisions on players who are just inconsistent and inexperienced. Looking at Terry Rozier in the piece you referenced with Gordon, how he played with him briefly in Boston and now rejoins him in Charlotte. And he talked about his improvement from one stage to the other. What did Gordon have to say? When Terry Rozier was in, you know, Boston, he was backup. He had, you know, better player ahead of Kyrie Irving. But however, it is interesting because when Terry Rozier was signed by the Hornets, it was the same outcry around the NBA, inside and outside the NBA, that Gordon Hayward heard, you know, this past fall. Oh, you pay too much for a player who's unproven and, you know, la-di-da. But turns out that uh, Terry Rozier is actually having a good year. And what Gordon said is uh, that Terry Rozier's had multiple 40-point games. And he puts pressure on the defensive pressure on the ball handler. So he's very happy for T. Rose, uh, how he has developed, how he has embraced uh, being a leader on the team. And I think they have a pretty good relationship, of course, being former teammates. You know, you're, you're, you're coming into contact with someone you're very familiar with. And so I think they click. I think they were happy to be reunited. And I think it's working out very well in Charlotte for both of them. Finally, Sean, we touched on all the different points and high points in Gordon's career, or you did in your piece. 
and there's a lot to choose from in terms of what right now would be his legacy. Would it be being an all-star after his time in Utah? Would it be being a player who put Butler on the map? If you were to come back in five years and do another interview, what do you believe the legacy will be, the uh, the hat, if you will, on his Hall of Fame bust, if he only had to pick one part of his career to to signify this is what represents me? Where do you think it would be? Do you think Charlotte will end up being the best part of his career? Well, it's hard to say. I know Gordon would hope that Charlotte would be the best part of his career because that means people have kind of forgotten Butler. <laughs> you know, and I still think that's in everybody's mind at least a little bit when they think of Gordon Hayward. But if it means that Gordon Hayward sort of triggered something in Charlotte, a, a new beginning, a fresh start, not only for him, but for a franchise. If he's the guy who made Michael Jordan happy as an owner and started that process, you know, sort of being the linchpin, the godfather of a, of a movement that's, you know, signaling consistent playoff heavy basketball for Charlotte, I think Gordon will take that. That would be a very positive legacy. And I think that's one reason why he decided to come to Charlotte to build his own, to help reverse the trend of a team that's only been in the playoffs, what, three, three times in 16 years? So I think he wants to be the player who helps push that in a more positive direction. He's Sean Powell. You can find his work on NBA.com and in particular find his long, in-depth piece on the Hornets Gordon Hayward. Sean, thanks so much for joining us here on the Hornets Hivecast. My pleasure anytime. For everyone here, I'm Sam Farber saying it's been a pleasure and a privilege having you with us. And in the words of LaMelo Ball. Thank y'all. Have a good day. Wear your mask. Thanks for listening to the Hornets Hivecast. For more coverage, visit Hornets.com.